the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. to make this 30-mile trek from Ephesus to Miletus, Luke tells us that once they arrived, Paul began addressing them by reminding these men of how he lived the whole time that he was with them. From the very first day that he set foot in the city until the day he departed the city three years later. And during this three year period of time, he tells them in verse 19 that his entire time with them, he was serving the Lord. I hope you are ready to dive into today's verse-by-verse program where we feature the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. When we concluded our previous program, I said, as we continue through the series, we would learn about being a faithful shepherd. Again, you might not be a pastor, but let me challenge you to think of your sphere of influence and who God has put into your life for you to shepherd. Faithfulness to God is the key, and as we continue with today's lesson, we are going to hear more about the example the Apostle Paul has been, not only to the Ephesian elders, but also to us today. And now, here is Pastor Steve. Before we look at Paul's words to the Ephesian elders, I want to share with you a few truths that I think will enhance your understanding of this passage. First of all, it's helpful to understand who these elders were. They were the leaders. They were the pastors of the church. If you look at verse 28, you'll see that Paul refers to these men by several terms. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Now, having referred to them already by the term elders of the church, not because these were old guys, but because of their spiritual maturity. Here we see that Paul also calls them, notice, overseers. What does that mean? Well, that speaks of their function in overseeing and leading and ruling the church. They are over the church, having been put there by Christ himself. Then he tells these elders, overseers, notice, to shepherd the church, which is the same Greek word for pastoring. Could have easily have been translated pastoring the church. 
instead of shepherd, pastoring. And pastoring means that these men were now responsible to do what a shepherd does, to feed the flock, to nurture the church by teaching them the word of God. So it's important to understand that Paul is instructing the pastors of this church. This is basically a pastor's conference in the city of Miletus, where Paul is telling these men how to conduct their lives and ministry. Secondly, Paul's words to these elders are significant because this is the only message, only message given by an apostle in the book of Acts, which is addressed specifically to Christians. Every other message in Acts is either an evangelistic sermon to unbelievers or a legal defense before Jewish or Roman authorities. So this address to Christian, to a Christian audience, it's unique, it's special, and it is important. The only one in the book of Acts. Third, although there is some repetition, there's some going back and forth between Paul talking about the past, talking about the future. The easiest way to follow the apostle's words is to see that he structured his message twofold. First, by reminding these elders of how he served the Lord in the past when he was with them. That's the past. Then secondly, he tells them how they should serve the Lord in light of the future danger that will soon be coming upon them and the church. So this is our background. We're now ready to study, to plunge into the text, to see Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. The first thing we read is Paul telling them how he served the Lord when he was with them. How he served the Lord in the past when he was with them. The passage opens up this way, verses 18 and 19. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Now, having called for the elders to make this 30-mile trek from Ephesus to Miletus, Luke tells us that once they arrived, Paul began addressing them by reminding these men of how he lived the whole time that he was with them. From the very first day that he set foot in the city until the day he departed the city three years later. And during this three-year period of time, he tells them in verse 19 that his entire time with them, he was serving the Lord. Serving the Lord. Now, before proceeding any further, it's important for us to ask ourselves, why would the apostle even do this? In other words, why would he go back in time and remind these men of what they already knew? They had been with him for three years. They had seen his life. Why does he have to tell them how he conducted himself and his ministry while he was with them? The answer is, we don't know for certain why he did this, because the text doesn't tell us. There are some who believe that Paul was doing this in order to defend himself against accusations made by false teachers who were trying to destroy his credibility as a man of God. That's very possible. We don't know that for certain. We know that false teachers would soon be coming. It's very likely that some of them were already there, and perhaps they were spreading accusations and false charges against Paul, and perhaps this is a defense of himself. While that's certainly possible, the more likely reason, and the one that I hold to, is that Paul was presenting his own life and ministry as simply a model for these men to follow. 
He was reminding them of what they already knew and by doing so, exhorting them to follow his example. And that's why these verses are so important because we all need models. We all need examples to emulate. And in revealing the way that he conducted his life and ministry during his three years in Ephesus, God then has placed the Apostle Paul before us as a powerful illustration an inspired illustration of the way all of us should live and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at the beginning of verse 19, you'll see that what Paul says about himself is that the entire time he was with them, with the Ephesians, he was, and I quote, he was serving the Lord. That's critical in understanding what Paul means by this so that you'll understand what he's about to tell these elders. See, the word for serving is a form of the Greek word doulos, which simply means a slave. Not really a servant who gets paid, a slave. A slave to a master. Therefore, what Paul is telling these men is that during the three years that he was with them, everything he did in terms of his life, in terms of his ministry to them, was done as a slave of Jesus Christ. In other words, his entire reason for being in Ephesus and proclaiming the gospel was because he was a slave and he knew he was a slave and he belonged to Jesus Christ and therefore as a slave, his only desire was to please his master. That's the only thing that a slave can do. Now folks, I want you to understand, I want you to know this, this is where all life and ministry begin for a Christian. Regardless of what kind of sphere the Lord has called you to work in, the bottom line is that you have to approach your ministry as a slave of Jesus. You have to think like that. You have to remind yourself of what you are. Therefore, your primary motivation above everything else must be to serve Christ for the purpose of pleasing Him and pleasing Him alone. This is a profound truth. It's one that must not be minimized because sadly... Sadly, much of what is supposedly being done for Christ isn't being done with the attitude of trying to please Him. You see, to many Christians, their service is driven by a desire to please people, to gain the applause of man, to gain the approval of man, much like the Pharisees did. And frankly, that's why many Christians just drop out of ministering to others. It looks mysterious, but the reason they drop out of ministry is because They didn't get the approval they were looking for. They didn't get the thanks. They wanted others to think highly of them. They wanted others to express gratitude for their sacrifices or to tell them what a great job they were doing. And when they didn't get that, but instead they received complaints, they received criticism, they just quit. They just quit because they were disappointed, disillusioned, and they're not going to serve again because it hurt. That wasn't Paul's way. Paul was different, and we must be like Paul. Paul saw himself as a slave of Christ, and therefore he realized that the only thing that really mattered, the only thing that was really important as a slave was pleasing his master. That's exactly what Paul said on a number of occasions, but one verse that stands out in my mind, and one that I constantly have to go to when I'm faced with a difficult situation, is Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Listen to this. This is a verse worth memorizing and meditating on. Paul said, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. 
Paul used to be a Pharisee who tried to please men, who did things so that he would get the approval of men. But after conversion, that all changed. I've looked at this verse many times, many times in my ministry, when knowing in particular that I'm about to say something in the pulpit or I'm about to do something, perhaps uh, say something in a counseling situation, perhaps do something in which I'm going to be severely criticized for potentially, and I know that's coming. I have turned to this verse for strength, for encouragement, because I need to reaffirm in my heart the great truth that regardless of what other people may feel about me, I have to please Christ. I'm his servant, I'm his slave, and therefore, the only thing that matters is, Lord, are you pleased? Even if others aren't. Unless you think that this only applies to those who are in full-time ministry, I remind you that according to the New Testament, every one of us, if you've been converted to Christ, you're his slave. This isn't just for pastors. Listen to some of these passages, and I just pulled a few. You can find many. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Paul said, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, your slaves are the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? Whoever you present yourself to, Paul said, and you're going to obey, you're their slave. If it's sin, then you're a slave to sin. If it's righteousness, you're a slave to Christ. He said, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This is simply another way of saying you became slaves to Jesus Christ. We also read 1 Corinthians 6. 19 through 20. The word slave is not mentioned here, but the concept is here. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Why aren't you your own? Because now you belong to Christ. For you have been bought, Paul said, with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. You've been purchased. You're his slave. And then in Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 5, Paul said, slaves, Now he's talking to those who were slaves of physical masters. He said, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, watch this, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. Yes, you may be a slave of a man, but you are primarily and foremost, you are a slave to Jesus Christ. Now, being a slave to Christ means that you are devoted to serving him, no matter how difficult people might be or how challenging your circumstances might be. As Christ's slave, there is a commitment you make to minister to people for his sake Come rain or shine. You don't want to be like the young man I read about in Kent Hughes' commentary who claimed to be so devoted to a young lady that in a letter to her, he expressed his devotion by saying, and I quote, My dear, I would climb the highest mountain, swim the wildest stream, cross the burning desert, die at the stake for you. P.S. I'll see you on Saturday if it doesn't rain. You don't want to be like that. That's not commitment. It's called a fair weather whatever. Listen, Paul wasn't like that at all. As someone has put it, Paul was an all-weather servant, not a fair weather servant, an all-weather servant. He was totally devoted to the Ephesians because why? He was totally devoted to Christ. And he was totally devoted to Christ because he knew that when he was converted to Christ, he became 
the slave of Jesus. And that just settled the whole issue for his commitment. It ought to settle your issue with this as well. So having stated that his time in Ephesus was spent serving the Lord, Paul now moves on to become rather specific by stating what characterized or what marked his service to Christ. And the first thing he says was that his service was characterized by humility. Notice once again the beginning of verse 19. Serving the Lord, he said, with all humility. Paul says that when it came to his service for Christ, he made sure that he served the Lord with all humility. What does that mean? Well, it means he served with an attitude of a lowliness of mind rather than with an exalted and proud view of himself. Paul was no celebrity. He was a servant. He was a humble servant. In other words, he saw himself as low. He saw himself as weak. He saw himself as needy rather than as important and strong and self-sufficient. Despite all of Paul's accomplishments, and he had many, in spite of all of them, as what? Well, he led so many people to Christ. He established numerous churches across the Roman Empire. He discipled and he mentored scores of men. He proclaimed inspired truth as an apostle. He opened up the gospel to so many people. He performed frequent miracles. In spite of all of those accomplishments and so much more, Paul was a genuinely humble man. And he was humble, watch this, because he recognized and remembered the truth about himself. What was that? That he was nothing but a sinner saved by grace. A man to whom God had shown his mercy in saving him in spite of the fact that Paul, as an unbelieving Pharisee, hated Jesus and he persecuted Christ's church. Notice As we read the New Testament, notice that that so often when Paul describes himself in his letters, notice how his humility is always connected to his recognition of his sinfulness, especially in the way he treated the church. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, we read this. See the humility here and see how Paul ties it in with how he was in terms of his hatred and persecution of the church. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he said, for I am the least of the apostles. We might look at Paul and say, well, wait wait a minute, you're the greatest of the apostles. He said, I'm the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. And now he tells us why. Because I persecuted the church of God. Seeing himself low, seeing himself needy, not a superstar, just a lowly servant because I persecuted the church. I'm such a sinner, he's saying. He said the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 12 through 15. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more then abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. He said, it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then notice what he says, among whom I am foremost of all. Listen, if you struggle with pride, and who doesn't? All of us do. 
then you have to work at constantly reminding yourself of what you're really like. What you're really like, a rebellious sinner who apart from the grace of God, apart from God's grace and salvation, at our very core before God saved us, what we really were, we were haters of God, haters of Jesus Christ. We hated the holy standards of the word of God. And we would rather have lived for pleasure than live for the Lord. This is the way we were. This is what we are at our core apart from God's grace. And that'll humble you. And that's exactly how you should live. And that's exactly how you should serve the Lord. By constantly reminding yourself of your sinfulness. Not in a way that spiritually paralyzes you. Not in a way that says, oh, I'm so bad I can't do anything. But no. But in a way that simply recognizes the truth about yourself. And as a result produces humility in you. That's how Paul operated. That's how we're to operate. This is especially true for those who are leaders in the church. See, pastors in particular are very vulnerable to pride because they're in a position where they are over people. They have authority. They're influential. They make decisions that affect the lives of many. And they're generally admired by the people of their congregation. And their teaching often invites compliments that can turn their heads and make them think more highly of themselves than they should. Concerning the danger of letting a compliment go to a pastor's head, James Montgomery Boyce said these words. He said, humility is important, of course, because the opposite of humility is pride. And pride is a great danger for those who are in prominent positions of church leadership. It's a danger for anyone. But it is particularly dangerous for those who stand up and talk, at least that they are effective doing it, because people will always come up afterwards to say, no doubt, meaning well, that was a wonderful message, or I was greatly blessed by that. He said the situation is dangerous because the minister can come to believe that he is indeed rather wonderful. After all, he's been a source of of such great blessing to so many people. He may forget that any blessing that comes is from the Lord. Boyce goes on to say that George Whitfield, the great 18th century evangelist, who, I might add, in his day, at least in the land of the United Kingdom, and at that time the American colonies, in his day he was, and this is no exaggeration, he was the most well-known man in the world, at least the world of Great Britain and the world of the colonies. George Whitfield, as popular and as well-known as he was, he had a way of dealing with compliments that could easily lead to pride. When after preaching to thousands, and he preached outdoors, by the way, thousands upon thousands heard him. If someone approached Whitfield to tell them how wonderful his sermon was, he would reply, I know it. The devil told me that just as I was stepping down from the pulpit. So... That's the way elders, our pastors, that's how you deal with it. Recognize that. Listen, whenever you think that you're so important and you're better than others, remember who you really are. Who you really are. Strip away everything else and you're a sinner who deserves hell, but who has been saved by God's mercy and has been given gifts and abilities to serve Christ so that you can take no credit for it yourself. What do you have that you did not receive? Everything that has been placed in our lives comes to us from God. And as we have just heard, we need to be sure we serve God with humility. 
I hope you are realizing that even though the Apostle Paul was giving this farewell address to the Ephesian elders, the application to anyone who is a Christ follower is obvious. Now, we all lead busy lives, and I'm guessing that not every one of our listeners is able to catch every program. Or perhaps you're only able to catch part of a program. If that is the case, let me encourage you to surf over to versebyverseradio.org. While you are there, you can click the radio tab and the podcast link and find programs or parts of programs that you have missed. And then please join us next time for Verse by Verse Radio. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.